0: How are you today out there? Man. Even though it was really cold this morning, I still can smell some spring in the air. Amen. Do you smell it? It's it's coming. Hang in there. Winter drags on like a heart attack, doesn't it? But uh, it's coming. So hang in there. This morning we're in Ephesians chapter 4. We are uh, in part 6 of our series on spiritual improvements. We started this Uh, New Year's. This was a text that we used the New Year's about uh, God making improvements in us. When we try to initiate change in ourselves, it's an uphill battle, and usually we're not successful for extended periods of time. But when the Lord initiates change in us, He gives us the power. He changes us by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. These are some spiritual improvements that God wants to work into all of His people. They're initiated by the Word of God, by the Spirit of God, and we've covered uh, several of them so far. Uh, we're going to start here in Ephesians 4. I'm going to read verse 25 through 32. And 31 is our target verse. Um, I'll, I'll read that again when we're done, but let this touch your spirit. Here's context, Ephesians 4. Father, we thank you for this study. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're working in our lives, that you, you loved us enough to save us the way we were, but you love us too much to leave us that way. So you're doing things to improve who we are, conforming us to the image of Jesus Christ. And we're thankful for that work. We want to partner with it. So as we study this, Lord, make it come alive to us and let us partner with the truth. Uh, mix our faith with it and watch you do amazing things in and through us. Ephesians 4:25. Therefore, ridding yourselves of falsehood, speak truth to each one of you with his neighbor, because we are parts of one another. Be angry. And yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not give the devil an opportunity. The one who steals must no longer steal, but rather he must labor, producing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with the one who has need. Let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth, but if there is any good word for edification according to the need of the moment, say that. That it may give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And our new material all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and slander must be removed from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, compassionate, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Verse 31, our target, listen with your hearts. All. Say all. All. All bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and slander must be removed from you along with all malice. Now, as we've been looking at these spiritual improvements, we've covered several so far. We looked at lying, and we we know lying has no place in the life of a believer. If you're given to lying, get lying out because it's not... uh, The devil's a liar, but our Father, God in heaven, is truth. Amen. So... If we lie, we're aligning ourselves with the devil and not with God because there's no lie in God. We talked about dealing with anger. Uh, It's possible to deal with anger in a way that is consistent with godliness. We're going to talk a little bit about anger again this morning. Also, stealing. Stealing's another thing that's got to go. Stealing has no place in the life of a Christian. If you listen to that message, I talk about six six ways that Christians steal. It's worth a refresher if you want to get that back in you. Uh, then Then we covered what comes out of our mouths, and I don't know about you, but sometimes the hardest thing to control on my body is just below my nose. Our mouths are difficult to control. And all of us could use a tune-up on what comes out of our mouths. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So it's not a mouth problem. It's a heart problem, and God wants to fix the flow of what comes out. Last week, we talked about grieving the Holy Spirit. We talked about blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And if you weren't here for that, again, get that message in you. But verse 31 is our new text here that we're covering in part six, and it it, it kind of hits us with a rapid-fire list. When I see lists like this in Scripture, I realize even though you can read through it quick, there's a lot in there. It's a rapid-fire list of six uh, issues, and uh, all of them categorically need to be removed from us. Listen to what it says. All bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and slander must, say must, must be removed from you along with all malice. Now, before we break down this list and cover the topics individually, I want you to see the common thread that flows through the entire list. Every one of those six issues is the byproduct of uncrucified flesh. If we have flesh that we have not dealt with, that has not been nailed to the cross, understand something this is where these issues sprout from wrath and anger and bitterness and clamor which is yelling and fighting uh slander tearing down another person's reputation they have to be removed malice has to be removed where does that stuff come from it doesn't come from the holy spirit oh i was in the holy spirit the other day and i burst out into wrath No, I was in the Holy Spirit, and I started yelling and screaming at all the people around me. No, that's not a work of the Holy Spirit. That's the flesh. It's 100% totally the flesh. It's not the Holy Spirit at all, and it's flesh that is not crucified. You know, the bottom line on all six of these issues is revealed right in that text there. It says they must be removed from you. It's amazing what we allow to remain in us and tolerate even after we've come to the Lord. Now, don't raise your hand and, and maybe don't even say amen and don't even look at me right now. But sometimes we give place for things in us that we know are not pleasing to the Lord. And we think, well, man, I've changed this and I've changed that and I let this go and I'm not like that anymore. But this one thing, this one thing I'm going I'm to keep, I'm not ready to let that go. It's kind of my pet sin. And whatever we allow to remain in us, when God says that it has to go, understand, that's going to create a problem. Have you ever, I know you have, walked past the store, you know, and the store's going out of business, and it has a sign in the window, it says, going out of business, everything must go. You know, if you're a cheapo, you think, well, even if you don't like the store, I'm going to go in and see if I get a deal right because everything's going to be cheap everything's going to be marked down if you some people if you see 75% off you you get like you can't control yourself so everything must go and I'm I'm thinking about that we've all experienced it the thing is we need to think of ourselves like that when we come to Christ the old nature the old man the old pattern the old way of living all of that has got to go because why it's going out of business. I'm no longer that old creation. I'm no longer the old man. I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. All things pass away. All things become new. Come on, second service. Now, first service was half dead, and I brutalized them, so it's up to you this morning, but I'm going to preach this thing hot and heavy, and you're going to have fun whether you like it or not. But understand, if we let things stay, it's got to go. Why? Because that thing is done. It's out of business. And the old man has to give way to being conformed to the image of Christ. So when it says all these things must be removed from you, it means they've got to go. Our old man is out of business. Our old nature is out of business. God has done a new thing in all of us, and we need to embrace the fact that these issues have got to be dealt with and they've got to be removed from us unless we want to lid on ourselves spiritually and we want to hinder the blessing of God and the calling of God and the gifts of God in our life. They must go. Now we're going to look at these first three items in the list of six but we're going to approach them in an interesting way. We're going to look at them in reverse because more often than not, they seem to express themselves and work their way into our lives in that order. The text says all what? Bitterness, wrath, and anger. We're going to cover anger, wrath, and bitterness. Why? Because that's the way they generally work in the expression of our flesh. First, we get angry and we don't express our anger in a way that's consistent with godliness. Then we blow up in wrath, we're gonna cover that, and we get really vicious, and we attack others, and then what happens is we estrange ourselves from everybody that we've attacked, and now we're bitter because the situation went from bad to worse. You understand how that works? Anger, wrath, bitterness. We're running it backwards here today so that we can understand how the enemy gets leverage in our lives. So let's cover anger first. Now, if you're paying attention in this series, we've already covered anger one time. In verse 26 and 27, this was part two of our series. It says this, be angry and sin not. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. What we learned from that text was this, anger is a legitimate emotion, Anger is something that God has given us in the spectrum of human emotion that is legitimate to express, but we can express anger in a way that pleases the Lord, that's consistent with godliness, or we can express anger in the flesh in a way that totally grieves the Holy Spirit. So anyone who says, well, you should never be angry, that's completely 100% wrong. In fact, anger can be expressed in a way that's pleasing to God. Jesus was angry a few times in his ministry. He usually got the most upset with the religious people. Many times it said he was indignant with them. That's just a really fancy way of saying he was really angry at them. And there's many times where he just let them have it. He's, you brood of vipers who warned you of the judgment to come. You whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. Doesn't that sound loving? Yeah. Isn't that happy, clappy, goose bumpy? Oh, Jesus, it's just so warm and fuzzy. No, he was angry. Yes. He took the time to make a whip of cords. And at the beginning of his ministry and at the end of his ministry, Lou, he flipped over tables and he drove the money changers out. And he was angry at them for they had profaned the house of God by bringing merchandising into the house of God that was to be a house of prayer. So we learned some things about anger. It is legitimate. It is a human emotion. It can be expressed in the way that pleases God. Jesus expressed it in the right way, and that was called righteous indignation. And listen, the thing we have to learn from these two verses here that I'm recapping is that our anger has to have a very short lifespan. Look what it says. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Some people, you know, what's the matter with you? I'm angry. Well, what, what happened? Well, 40 years ago, what? You know, or like three weeks ago. I mean, there's some times where, have you ever met somebody like that? Have you ever been like that? Man, just somebody did something to you. I can remember stuff when I was in fourth grade, things the teacher said, mean stuff. And still, if I think about it, I'm like, hmm. I mean, I, I've, I've shared it with people close to me. It's people say things and they wound us. And unless we're careful, that stuff stays with us. And anger has to have a very short lifespan. Don't let the sun go down on it. We're, we're going to talk a little bit more about this, but that's what we learned from verse 26 and 27. Now, what we didn't explore when we looked at Tuesday those two verses is this. We never took the time to learn to identify the motive behind anger. When someone's angry, really what's most important is to find out why they are angry. Is it legitimate? Is God also angry about it? Is it something that God allowed them to feel anger over so they could be part of the solution for it? Why are we angry? What's the motive? It really comes all down to motive, whether the anger is righteous indignation or it's just our flesh being rattled up a little bit. Now, when Jesus cleansed the temple in Matthew 21, he gave the, uh, he, he really told us what the motivation for his anger was. He said to them, the people that he's flipping their tables, he's whipping them, he's driving them out. He says, it is written, That means it's the word of God. This is from the Father. My house shall be called the house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Jesus was angry because the Father was being profaned here by men. They had polluted the temple, which was supposed to be holy, which was supposed to be a place of prayer. They had turned it into a place where merchandising took place. They were buying and selling and cheating and fleecing the people. You see, the Jews would always have to bring offerings to the temple. They'd have to buy doves or bring a sacrifice or whatever. So you had guys out front selling them, and they would have unjust scales that would misweigh the currency so they could charge more than they were, you know, asking for. And they were cheating people and stealing so that people could worship in the temple. Jesus was angry about it, and his motive was what? You've polluted the house of God with merchandising. You profaned what my father deemed to be holy. You've made it unholy. That's a righteous motive. Now, contrast that motive for Jesus' anger there with David's motive when he was about to decimate Nabal's household in 1 Samuel 25. You see, David had had mustered up his mighty men and these guys were armed to the teeth and they were heading for the house of Nabal why because Nabal had dishonored David David had watched out for Nabal took care of his flocks protected his interests and when David needed Nabal Nabal basically told him I'm not giving you anything who do you think you are beat it I'm not helping you And David was angry. Have you ever been kind to someone? Have you ever bent over backwards to help them? Have you ever just poured yourself out for someone and they spit in your face at the moment you needed them and they disrespected and dishonored you? David was hot. He was angry. And what was he doing? He was gonna go, you know, have a discussion with Nabal. No, he wasn't. He he put all his mighty men together. He put his sword in the sheath and he was going to kill every male in the house of Nabal. And Nabal's wife, Abigail, hears that David's coming, and she goes out to meet him in 1 Samuel 25, 23. When Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed face down on the ground before him. Look at the humility of this woman. She fell at David's feet and said, my master, let the blame be on me. Please let me talk to you. Listen to what I say. My master, do not pay attention to this worthless man, Nabal. They had a good relationship, didn't they? He is like his name, which means fool. Could you imagine if your mother named you Fool? No other Nabal Nabel just didn't have good character. She says, please Pay no attention to this worthless lamb. He's like his name, which means fool. And he truly is a fool. But I, your servant, did not see the men you sent. The Lord has kept you from killing and punishing anyone. And surely as the Lord lives, and surely as you live, may your enemies become like Nabal. I have brought a gift to you. For you and your men who follow, please forgive my wrong. The Lord will certainly let your family have many kings because you fight his battles. As long as you live, may you do nothing bad. So Abigail comes out and heads David off at the pass, and she really keeps him from committing just a horrible act of anger and sin here because he's about to punish Nabal's whole house for Nabal's attitude. You know, it's one thing when someone does something and you go after them, but when you punish everyone around them and hurt everyone that means something to them, that's unjust. Compare and contrast God's anger, Jesus' anger, with David's anger. You see, we're going to find out that man's anger is often unjust over the top and it goes beyond. Often when we when we get back at people, we do to them worse than what they actually did to us to initiate it. There's an old saying if you you know never play in the mud with a pig because the pig both of you will get dirty and the pig will have fun. Think about that. When we get in the mud, when we get in the flesh, when we get down there and we 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 let our anger take control, we're going to get dirty. And often we're going to wind up in worse shape than the one who hurt us. So man's anger and God's anger is different. Motives matter. Ask yourself, why am I angry? Is it my pride? Is it my ego? Or is it because I have reverence for the things of God? You know, and you think, well, why do we have to cover anger again? We've covered it two times in this. Listen, anger is something that all of us have to deal with constantly. In fact, there's no one, including me here, that's overcome anger. In fact, just yesterday, I was in a place of business, and I'm in the parking lot, and one of the workers, it was an automotive place, they're coming out, they're moving a car, and they almost run me over. So I jump to get out of the way, and I head towards the garage, and the guy rolls down the window, and he goes, sir, you can't go in the garage, go in the main office. So I do, and then he gets in there, and he proceeds to say, are you okay, sir? And he's rolling his eyes at me, and he's treating me like I'm some sort of mental patient. And it was so rude, I couldn't believe it. And I got angry and I started to uh, express myself, you know, like when I started talking with my hands and I started getting all Italian, I started to get louder. It went up a few decibels. But I'm thinking, who is this guy? And what, you know, he's basically, you know, you ever have somebody that's supposed to give you customer service, roll their eyes at you? I'm like, dude, you just about ran me over. If I, you know, I'm I'm gonna be 55. That was some good footwork there. Come on. (laughs) But no, so I got angry, I came home, I told my wife, she got angry, we got angry together. We had a good time, we had, we had a little fun. And he's thinking, are, are you okay? I'm like, I'm about to bounce your head off this counter. You have no idea. You're not gonna be okay in about two seconds. But you know, I, I control myself and I, there's no police report, everything's good. But understand what I'm saying, all of us have the capacity. What is that? It shows that our flesh needs to be crucified a little bit more, amen, so that people could say and do things that it doesn't even affect us. I'm looking forward to get to the place where things like that don't even bother me, amen? And so that's why we have to deal with anger. And if you're sitting out there thinking I'm with you, pastor, I get it. But anger that's uncontrolled will often give way to wrath. And let's talk about wrath a little bit here. What does the word wrath mean? Now, th- that word wrath in and of itself sounds like a powerful word, and it is. It's from the Greek word orge, and it means hot, passionate anger expressed as vengeance. Say vengeance. Vengeance, vengeance is not for us. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. So wrath is what? Hot, passionate anger expressed as vengeance. Listen, with an emphasis on punishing the offender. You're exploding in, from anger into wrath with the, with the idea of, of bringing punishment or judgment or correction on someone who offended you. Orge. It really shows the depth of wrath and why it's more for God than it is for us. The problem is that, you know, you might look at that definition and go, well, wrath is categorically unloving, unchristian, and unholy. But then there's a problem, because God expresses wrath all throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. God expresses wrath on the lost and on his own people. In fact, if you go to a scripture as a reference here in Romans 1.8, you'll see God expressing wrath and it's the same Greek word orge that's in Ephesians 4.3. So God expresses the very thing himself in a way that's just and holy that when we do it, it's over the top and out of line. And here's the deal. The wrath of God and the wrath of man are not the same. There are some things God can do in his holiness and omniscience and in his perfect you know, demeanor and his grace. He can do it that we can't. Well, God expresses wrath. I was just expressing a little wrath. Well, God pours out judgment. I was just judging. See, there's certain areas that we get into. These are God-only things. Man's wrath and God's wrath are different. Let's compare and contrast. God's wrath is always totally just, appropriate, and proportionately executed. Man's wrath is often unjust and over the top. David says, I'm not just going to get Nabal. I'm going to kill every man in his house. It's over the top, that's unjust. God's wrath has an underlying motive to bring sinners to repentance. Man's wrath centers around punishment and payback with no regard for the condition of the soul. God's wrath is right, he knows every detail and the final state of every soul. So when he judges and pours out wrath, it's righteous. Man's wrath is poured out with a limited understanding of the truth and the facts. We don't know everything about the situation. We don't know everything about the person. We don't see the beginning from the end. We don't know the condition of their soul. Right. Some of us would have put Paul to, Saul to death before God could have turned him into Paul. But God looked at him and he knew the beginning from the end. Do you understand? God's omniscient. He sees the big picture. So when he pours out judgment, it's totally just. But you and I judge others with only partial facts and partial details, and often we're wrong. God's wrath is always restrained by grace and mercy. Man's wrath is often unrestrained and cruel. When God expressed wrath, it's just when we attempt to express wrath, there's a good chance it's gonna be over the top and unjust. So wrath is something we need to be very careful of that we don't mishandle our anger till we get whipped up into that state. Now, I want you to see the cost of wrath. If you think, well, you know, I just have an explosive temper or I just, you know, I'm, you know I'm, I'm Latin, I got hot blood or I'm Irish, we like to fight. You know, there's all the uh, cultural excuses, right? The truth is this wrath will have a cost. Now, if you go to Genesis 49, 5 through 7, you're gonna see Jacob, he's on his deathbed, and he's giving a blessing to all of his sons. And when he gets to Simon and Levi, his two sons, he doesn't bless them, he actually speaks a curse over them. It's a serious. And the reason he speaks judgment over their lives is because on no less than two occasions, they expressed wrath in such a way that it was ugly and it upsetted Jacob and it upsetted the things of God. Simon and Levi in Genesis 49 were about to massacre the whole town of Shechem because just a few men from it had raped their sister. Listen to Genesis 49:5 and 7. Here's Jacob. Simon and Levi are brethren. Instruments of cruelty are in their habitation. O my soul, come now, not thou in their secret unto their assembly in mine hour, but not but be not thou incited for in their anger, listen, this is what they did. In their anger, they slew a man and in their self-will, they dig down a wall. Cursed be their anger for it is fierce and their wrath for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. So Jacob speaks judging on them. And this is what he's talking about in that text. He's making some subtle references to two situations. One, Simon and Levi went to massacre all the men in Shechem because of what they did to their sister Diana. Is rape wrong? Absolutely. Does it deserve judgment? Absolutely. But they should have taken that judgment out on the ones who did it. Not, again, like David was about to do, kill everyone in sight. It's over the top. It's unjust and their wrath caused Jacob to be onerous in the land and they actually had to move because of what these guys did. Then Simon and Levi were the ones who mastermind the kidnapping and the selling of Joseph. Yeah. Remember when Joseph, his brothers threw him in the pit? Who was behind that? These two guys. Why? Because they were jealous and they wanted the birthright and they didn't want this guy around. So they, they got the other brothers to get in on the plot and they threw him in a pit and then they sold him for money and they took his clothes and they ripped him and put animals' blood on them so their father would think that his beloved son was ripped apart by wild animals. And they watched their father Jacob mourn and cry and be broken for days and months and years. And it was all because of their cruelty and their wrath. And Jacob said, because of you guys and the way you behave and your hot anger and your wrath, there's no blessing for you, there's only judgment. Wrath will cost us our inheritance. Wrath will cost us our spiritual gifts. Wrath will cost us our anointing. And it'll cost us the favor of God. This is a perfect picture of how man's wrath is over the top. So we express anger in an ungodly way. It spirals out of control and explodes into wrath. And then the fallout from our wrath leaves us bitter. Why? Because when you express wrath, you hurt your relationships. You hurt your integrity, your social standing. And no one wants to deal with you because you're an angry, explosive person. Wow. Ever seen people like that? They get into a situation, they blow up, they say all kinds of rotten things, and even if they're not saying it to you, you're like, wow, I don't want to be around that. You know, there's a part of all of us that go, well, it wasn't me this time, but I could be next. And then what happens? Like, you know, no one wants to be around that person, then they're estranged, then they're bitter. See how it works? Anger, wrath, and it brings us into bitterness. Let's talk about bitterness today. The word bitter in the text here means sharp like an arrow, pungent to the taste, disagreeable and venomous. That's not the kind of description that you want to have. Hey, uh, what's Pastor Rick like? Well, he's disagreeable and venomous, (laughs) pungent to the taste and sharp like an arrow. No, that's not a good description. You know, a person who is bitter is not an easy person to be around. The bitter person lives under the proverbial black cloud of negativity. You ever meet a person like that? They're always angry. They're always negative. They're never happy. It's just dark around them all the time. They change the atmosphere of the room when they come into it. Come on. You know, they see the worst in others. They see the worst in every situation, and they find pleasure in nothing. They've been thoroughly disappointed by life. Many times, that's why they're in wrath. That's why they're bitter at this point, because they're disappointed with life. They've been abused and tricked and exploited by others. Some of it is not their fault. It's just that they mishandled these situations, and now it wasn't their fault, but they're bitter over them. They're cynical. They're suspicious of others. They're hostile, and they're mean. And those are their good qualities. To be bitter is a very bad condition to be in. Yet the truth is, all of us have found ourselves bitter at one time or the other. You know, bitterness affects every type of individual. The rich person and the poor person can be bitter. The unknown person and the famous person can be bitter. The failure and the highly successful person can all be bitter. Bitterness knows bounds. It affects everyone. Everyone. In fact, most of us have heard of Sigmund Freud. Armand Nicolai, professor of psychiatry at Harvard University, noted this about Sigmund Freud. He said, Freud died at age 83, a bitter, broken, and delusion, a disillusioned man. He died all alone. Tragically, Freud, who was one of the most influential thinkers of that time, had little compassion for the common person. Listen to what Freud wrote in 1918. He said this, I have found little that is good about human beings on the whole. In my experience, most all of them are trash. Wow, it gets better. It doesn't matter what they subscribe to publicly or if they have lofty ethical doctrines, or none at all. My view is that most of them are trash. Sigmund Freud died friendless and alone, having parted ways with all of his colleagues and followers. Uh, At the end of his life, he died bitter and alone. Bitterness will leave you empty and friendless. Why? Because it will push everyone away from you. It'll isolate you, and it'll make you so angry that you will look at beautiful people that God made, and all you'll see is trash. Bitterness has to go. Going out of business, everything must go. Bitterness is God. Well, I have a right to be bitter. You don't know what they did to me. I don't know, but, but maybe you're right. Maybe you do have a right to it, but, but it's destroying you. It's eating you from the inside out. If you keep it as a pet sin, oh, it feels good at first. There's so many people who like to play the victim. We see this all the time in dealing with people in over three decades of ministry. There are people who love to play the victim and tell their story and feel sorry for me and, oh, woe is me. And, I, you know, and then they, they're the victim for so long that they take that bitterness and they, it's like a little pet scene. It's like a little kitten and it's so adorable at that stage. But then the thing grows up into a lion and it turns on the bitter person and eats them alive. You see, we can't keep any pet sins. All of it has to go. Bitterness has got to go because if we allow it to grow up and and take root in us and become a root of bitterness, it will eat us alive from the inside out. So the question for us today becomes this. How do we avoid becoming bitter? That's number one. And if we are bitter, what can we do about it? You know, the, the best thing to do is to avoid becoming bitter, and, you know, once we become bitter, we have to say then, well, how do I get free of this? And there's two ways that you can approach this. The first way, here, I want to give you a secret today. Uh, I did tell at the first service, so it's just, you know, it's, it's kind of secondhand, but it's still, it's a secret. If you want to avoid becoming bitter ever, the way you do it is all you have to do, really simple, this is all you have to do. You have to avoid all people at all time forever. <laughs> That's it. Simple, right? Just stay away from people. Find a place to hide. Hide in your place and hope that no individuals with bad intentions come by and mess things up. But if that's not going to work for you, you might want to try this. There are two wisdom keys in Hebrews 12.15 that allow us to get free from bitter and to stay bitter free. Hebrews 12.15 says this, See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. So you see the nature of bitterness. It springs up, it, it takes root, it produces something, and it defiles not just the person who's bitter but everyone. But here are the two wisdom keys. If you want to you know, stay away from being a bitter person, refuse to let bitterness take a root in you. When you go something th- through something that makes you bitter, that makes you upset, that, and, and it's unjust, look, I'm not saying that we're always wrong when we get bitter. Sometimes it makes sense. Sometimes it's just a byproduct of the way we've been treated. So if you're in this state and I'm angry, I'm bitter, I, I have a bad attitude towards this person. They hurt me. Okay, it's a valid emotion, but now, like anger, we've got to let it go Just like when the sun goes down, the anger has to go. When the sun goes down, the bitterness has to go. Why? Because if we don't, it takes root in us. You see, bitterness comes in seed form. It starts out as a seed. And if we plant it in us, it'll take root in us. And if it takes root in us, it'll spring up in us. And eventually, it'll defile us and everyone around us. So refuse to allow bitterness to take root in you. Just, you know, when someone does something, acknowledge it. You know, ask the Lord to help you with it. Confess it. Ask for, you know, God to deal with the situation like only he can, and then let it go. Well, I don't want to let it go. I want to stew on it for a while. I want to be angry for a while. Maybe in a few weeks I'll let it go. Don't do that. You ever see how quickly some seeds can take root? I had, some, uh, I had some rye seeds that I would plant in a field and I, I, I spilled some of them in the back of my pickup truck and there was just a little mud in the back of the truck. Do you know two days later those seeds took root and sprang up? I had shoots coming up out of my pickup bed. Some seeds you can't play with, they take root fast and they spring up quick. And bitterness is one of those things. So refuse to let bitterness take root in you. Number two, uh, receive the grace of God. Look what it says. see, to it that no one comes short of the grace of God. You know, we don't want to reject God's grace. Why? Because when someone hurts us, when something, you know, in life just throws us for a loop and we're in a place where we become bitter, we have to receive God's grace about the issue and we have to receive grace to get through the season that we're in. You know, sometimes it's a person that hurts us. Sometimes it's a, a leader. Sometimes it's a, a loved one, a family member. But sometimes no one hurt us it's just life. And people wind up in spots in life where they're like, man, how did I get here? I never wanted to be in this spot. I never, you know, and and you look around and you don't know who to blame. Then what do you do? You need to cry out for the grace of God that he would give you the strength to go through that season till he can lead you to greener pastures and better places. Amen. Sometimes we're in hard spots, and, 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 and we got to go through it. The way through, through these things is that we, we rely on the grace of God. We pray, God, take it away now, take it away now. And God says, no, the way out is through. Right. And, and, well, I don't have the strength to go through. Cry out for my grace, and I'll strengthen you. Yeah. Did you ever go through things in your life that you would say, I don't know how I made it through that? The people look, listen to me all the time, sit with me, they, they see some of the things as a pastor, you know, what I go through, they go, I don't know how you do it. And what I say to them is, I don't know either. Yeah. It's God's grace. Yeah. Do you ever look back and go, I don't know how I, man, if I went through that now, I think I would commit felonies and be in an orange jumpsuit, and I don't think, it was God's grace. So cry out for God's grace to get you through the season, amen. Cry out for God's grace to, to strengthen you so that bitterness doesn't take a root in you and extend the grace of God to those who hurt you. It's all about grace. It's all about refusing to let bitterness take root in you. Anger, wrath, and bitterness, God help us to express our anger in the right way so that it doesn't lead to wrath, and we don't express our wrath in a way that estranges us and makes our bad situation worse, and we find ourselves bitter. Let's bow our heads today. Father, I thank you today for these principles of wisdom and truth that you've tucked in here for us, that we've taken the time to unpack today. Holy Spirit, Thank you for revealing them to us. Help us, Lord, to deal with our anger in a way that is pleasing to you, that we would not allow ourselves to have the license to explode in wrath because vengeance is yours, it's not ours. Help us to receive grace and to give grace so that we insulate ourselves from bitterness, that we don't keep bitterness like a pet sin and allow it to grow up into a monster that eats us alive. Give wisdom to your people. Give grace to your people. And help us to partner with the Holy Spirit that all of these things would go. All bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and slander must be removed from you along with all malice. Do it, Holy Spirit, in each of us, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Give him praise today.